Um, Anne Hollander and I, uh, you'll, you'll be editing this so that it's Richard Howard oh, speaking. Sure, of course. Anne Hollander and I have known each other since we were very tiny children. Uh, and the friendship has consisted of um, an intimacy that has remained um, constant since that time, which is a very long time indeed, and is remarkable for that uh, fact. There was a, a slight uh, gap in the relationship in our early adolescence, but we resumed it by the time we went we were to different schools together. Yes, <laughs> we went. To, by the time we came to college, we were uh, again together and have been so ever since. Uh, so that uh, the conversation between us now is a. Uh, not uh, the ordinary uh, kind of interviewer and interviewee, but a conversation between old friends and intimates. And I also want to point out that when, in 1978, I became president of Penn, uh, I think Penn, uh, I was aware uh, that Penn was, uh, at that time, just beginning to become the instrument uh, of uh, some sense of literary community uh, that uh, it now is, and uh, I believe that it's changed a great deal since the period that preceded my arrival. And uh, I, on the whole, regard that, uh, that becoming as a, a very valuable and uh, important uh, growth and development. And I, uh, I think I remember talking to Anne about being president of Penn in 1978 as uh, something of a bewilderment for me, uh, because uh, I was... Uh, myself a uh, shamefully literary type uh, who had very few um, uh, social, political, and uh, indeed uh, even philosophical connections uh, with uh, the world uh, that were not to be found in, um, in, in, in sort of esoteric literary matters. And uh, I think I learned a great deal, partly helped by Karen, uh, about how to uh, how to conduct an organization, or at least be its figurehead, um, that did not necessarily uh, reflect my own uh, preoccupations and concerns. Though I was, I came to recognize that the concerns of the organization were not only paramount, but uh, were uh, for itself, but were of great interest to me. And I, I want to sort of point out to you, as as an incoming president, having see, uh, whom I regard as a, as again shamefully literary, <laughs> that uh, we uh, there is a, a a way in which um, being the president of Penn um, dispenses you from being literary, and that you may feel that you uh, wish to um, emphasize or uh, attack the literary point of view uh, in a different way from the from the way you've always been uh, taught to conduct it. Well, I have not. Uh, I am shamefully literary in a different way from you, because I spent uh, all those years not writing anything, and my I was more shamefully literary than you, because I spent a lot of time reading, and I read a great deal of the writers of the past. And when I came to write myself, I realized that I was simply joining a continuum of that sort. That's what I was doing in my literary character, if there, if I've got. Uh, has that flavor of being somehow uh, uh, joining a company which is long in the past and present and future rather than uh, laterally spread out quite so much. And now what I expect to learn is about uh, the lateral dimensions of writing, which I have learned very little about because my habit is long-standing and I never had to change it since my literary character was my own business up until this minute when I am now uh, <laughs> putting it on the line, so to speak. <laughs>
I would like to point out that as Borges remarked, there are many more good writers than there are good readers, and it's very important to me, and I think it will be very important to Penn that you are one of the latter, and that you became a good writer after being a good reader, something very, very rare. Well, I would like it to become less rare, and one of the things I think Penn can do and should do is to promote good reading. That is different from reading everything that is now written that everyone is busy uh, patting each other on the back about. It would be wonderful, I do feel, if we could create a situation where everybody uh, felt the community of letters to be both vertical and lateral uh, all the time, and that we were all up there competing with the great standards that have always been set again and again, along with the ones presently being set. All the great writers I can think of were readers and had that, uh, that sense of themselves. The, the Harold Boonian state of mind about, uh, about who, uh, who there was to read before we ever got started. You know, uh, reading uh, is, I mean, is, is necessary for every present writer. We don't want to be uh, talking to ourselves. So that we have to have the present readers of the present writers, of course. One of the things that Penn will probably uh, make you aware of as its president is that um, there is a considerable uh, gap uh, between the notion of writing and reading now. And I just wanted to ask you whether, in bringing up your daughters, uh, you found any um, moment in which uh, there might be a, a perceived um, failure to read that you wish to address in, in, in watching them grow into readers. They became readers because they could not get their parents' attention away from the books. <laughs> there was no way to go but to beat that team. And that meant to learn to read as early as possible and join the tribe. They did that. And the writing tribe, they also learned to join almost immediately since admiration of writing went with reading. And until you could put those sentences down and be praised for them, uh, you know, you were not a proper human being. This was fine in our family. And there was no point <laughs> when those daughters quit either reading or writing. You know, when it was letters, of course, and little notes and whatever one wrote down. It didn't mean, of course, writing, not meaning self-expression, but, you know, the putting down of those sentences. I, it, I think that situation is not unique, but rare. Because yesterday I was out at Stonington at a translation conference, Stony Brook, at a translation conference, and uh, Edith Grossman, uh, the translator of Marquez and so forth, uh, was telling me about her 19-year-old son. And she said, he's a dropout from reading. She said, he's very <laughs> smart. He likes to read, she said, but he doesn't want to go to school. And he do he's 19, and he doesn't want to connect himself with the idea of the literary. And I, I just said, yes, here he has this mother who is translating these books and who is uh, absolutely committed to a life of connection with literature, and I'm very yes. interested in Well, I have tons of friends with children who dropped out of literature as fast as they could for some of the same reasons that mine signed on. I don't know exactly what the family dynamics were. In my case, it made it different, but they have existed quite differently in other families that I know well, yes. where uh, the same sorts of uh, readers and writers have produced kids who wouldn't go near the whole uh, enterprise at all. And of course, I'm, it's my profound belief that all those people come back to it. I don't know if that's true, but I have a feeling <laughs> that uh, that uh, it is a necessary stage of development for people to get out of what all that was like at home and do something different, very definitely and obviously, but that doesn't mean that it isn't all sort of sitting there, probably. I don't know that for a fact, it may take out of home. I don't, uh, I don't, in other words, I would never worry 
uh, I think I, I would hate it maybe for four years or seven years or ten years while my children didn't read. But I wouldn't worry, I don't think. Maybe I would. Daughters' names are Martha and Elizabeth. Elizabeth. But I must say that one of my daughters did the following. She read the same books, maybe five, over and over. That's Liz. And my other daughter, Martha, read new books all the time and everything she could get her hands on all the books. And there was that different way of doing it. Yeah, but I think that's true reading. about all reading. I think there are the two kinds. Yes. Uh, nice to. Uh, an old and now dead friend of ours in Paris. Uh, read only three books, but he read them all the time. Donald Maher read the oh, really? only I read the he read La Vie Privée de Marie Antoinette. No, I saw he, him he, doing so. Yes, he, he read <laughs> other books, but the books that he read constantly were the Pascal, Saint Augustine, and maybe La Vie Privée de Marie Antoinette. <laughs> but that's all he read. He yes, of course. That's of course. That's that's wonderful. Well, you read. That means you're always with one of your texts. That's what reading means. But in the old traditional. Yeah. religious ritual way. Well, one of the things that you'll encounter in Penn is, of course, a great animus against reading. <laughs> obviously, obviously, obviously. Very curious. Partially because, of course, writers, this whole dispensation that Penn has to deal with uh, um, from the idea that we have to insist upon, upon excellence, upon this whole traditional thing that I'm so used to, that we have to allow writing of all kinds, that writing is not does not necessarily have to qualify as excellence to be writing. It just has to be, in some respects, honest and have a uh, have a uh, an authentic relation to the writer. That that's mm -hmm. what writing is about. And you don't. It, it's very difficult to keep in mind those things. Means though that who reads may be, in fact, people who are going to stop you for one reason or another, or squelch you because you aren't good enough or stop you from those sorts of things. And you have to remember to keep that to one side so that you can permit all of these things to go on. And I can see how, re how uh, a, a sense that reading is far down on the list and what matters is being allowed to write. All that is very fine. It only worries me from my other side where we are not, we tend to veer, I would say, these days over on to the side of things where Everyone is considered not just a free writer, if he's free, but a good writer if he's not free. That is, for some reason, there's a great deal of status to being exiled, imprisoned, and censored. And therefore, you can uh, stick that status on to the excellence of the writing or lack thereof and develop a kind of taste for, uh, for the big thing, period. And of course, it, it, all that is a delicate matter that, that Penn is dealing with at every minute, how to keep the freedom to write and issue that, you know, we, there can be no reading if there is no writing, uh, unless we're stuck with our text and those can be burned by the same people that put the writers in jail and all sorts of things. Admirable. I'm with you. Now, <laughs> let me, let me uh, start another hair uh, in a different way. Um, in the... 18 years ago, uh, Penn uh, was not uh, balkanized. Penn did not have uh, various interests within it competing for the attention and indeed in some ways the powers of the organization. It was uh, pretty much uh, one thing. It was very, very intimate in its uh, dynamics. I remember that as a new member when and uh, I think that is now a, a different matter. It's my, my experience of board meetings is uh, in recent years quite limited, but I am aware 
that there is this uh, extraordinary um, uh, amount of um, not only tension, but sometimes even hostility uh, within the various interests that compose uh, this large organization, uh, uh, loose baggy monster called Penn. Yes. And I, uh, that's something that you will have to contend with that I never had to contend with. Are you prepared? Well, I have been at board meetings more than you have in the last few years, although I've been off the board for quite some time now. I can't remember the year that I went off the board, but I did because I started to spend so much time not in the city and uh, I was on it. Maybe three or four years ago, but not more than that. Something okay, like that. It was like 92. But I was on the board for a while watching what you're describing. Uh, and, and thinking this is a far cry from what I thought of Penn as being when you became president and I became a member. Where, of course, we were then in that cute brownstone downtown, uh, uptown. Oh, and even before the that, we were on Fifth Avenue at 20th Street in, in three rooms. Uh, yes. Well, all that, of course, lent a flavor of, uh, of intimacy in the sense that we were all what we were supposed to have begun as a solidarity group for writers period, and that there was no problem. All the writers in the world, but mostly, of course, those writers in our closer uh, ambiance, were uh, who we were friends with in some way, or, or were for on account of their efforts to be writers. And we were writers, and they were writers, and there was no question of hostility and uh, arms camps within or the group. Or just competition for the attention of the organization. Well, that's what develops it on arms camps, of course, is that, uh, is that com competition for attention. That idea that here's what's really important, and no, no, this is what's really important, and I represent so and so forth. Of course, this is the balkanization, as you say, of life generally mm -hmm. taking its course, uh, and we see it all over the place mm -hmm. uh, in uh, the academy, where I'm familiar with all of these things. Also, not only maritally, but still inwardly, but fortunately, not practically. I never <laughs> had to worry about what to do about it. If you see what I mean, I have certainly observed with considerable. Uh, interest how all this has operated in these uh, I'm in not these sure you have to worry about what to do. You have to be prepared for the mere existence of it. That I am. Okay. That I am, and because yeah. I, I have seen it, and I, I appreciate that very keenly. I, I, I noticed that this is the case. And I don't know whether there is anything to do about it, other than, I mean, except to manage as one goes along That's and it. practice the art of the possible. Uh, <laughs> it seems to me that, uh, that uh, you know, life is moving this way. We have uh, boundaries falling and new ones rising perpetually in the world. There is no way we can say that our little organization, or big organization for that matter, yeah. mirroring the world, can do anything to, to be different from this. We just have to deal as we come along. Now, you and I, as I say, are immitigably literary types, and I think I would like to advance the interests of the literary uh, by uh, urging you, uh, as the new president of Penn, to consider that Penn is, uh, in some ways, uh, still and residually a, an organization which is interested in literary expression, and uh, that when you are president, you may want to encourage um, programs, uh, developments, um, statements that are concerned with literary expression. That is my firm hope and resolve. That is exactly what I would like to do, since that is what I really believe is our point. It's true. And I loved the sense when I became a member of, uh, of being thought, as I was suddenly seeing myself, thought of as a person with literary concerns. I uh, had thought of myself all that while as an art historian. It was only when I came 
to write it all down that I realized I was a writer. Before that, I was a scholar. Well, and I now, I then suddenly thought, I am a writer, and my goodness, Richard knows it, <laughs> and I'm going to become a member of Penn. Isn't that wonderful? Something analogous <laughs> happened with uh, it way back then. Uh, when we had a conference out in Arizona, I'm not sure you were even in your present exalted position, and I asked, we were supposed to bring with us some writers of characteristic excellence of different kinds to, to speak, and I asked Rosalind Krauss to come, and she said herself, I'm not really a, a writer in the way you seem to mean. I said, yes, you are. I would like you to come and talk about Impressionism. You had just published, she had just published an extraordinary essay in Partisan Review, which I really liked. And I said, this will be what we want. Mm -hmm. And she came and did it, mm -hmm. but uh, with great hesitation. She didn't think she was part of Penn, but she, mm -hmm. she came. It went very well, and it was, it was an important thing. And I, I felt that she was a literary person, and in the same way, that it was a question of acknowledging it and discovering it. And of course, if she had gone ahead and tried to be a writer, I mean, to work on being a writer about these things that she thinks about, or that she thinks through. Uh, and of course, writing about art, writing about what art is and how art works, not just painting and sculpture, but of course, writing about writing, the whole story on how this whole matter gets into the world is, a, is a, an important dimension in all this anyway. Uh, again, um, uh, the idea that that, 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 it is, that writing is nothing but self-expression cannot, of course, uh, sustain itself. Uh, I was at a lecture by the great Leo Steinberg, and a person got up and said, oh, but I can't understand what you're saying. It just seems that this is a perfectly charming picture. It was Las Meninas that he was talking <laughs> about. And Leo paused a moment, and he said, yes, but you know, we have got past the point of saying, isn't it just lovely? <laughs> and of course, uh, you know, that we all have, we have to think about how to say it. And all of that is what literature is about, yeah. and how uh, it is going to connect with how anything has ever been said. So to have that authority. Anyway, I write these ways about dress and art myself, and I think it's too lovely. Mm. Also. Yes, literature, that's our, I think, game that we're in. That is would be the thing I would think of as, as promoting that Penn could remind itself what its game is. Well, now, of course, Penn exists in a world in which literature is ferociously threatened. Aha, uh, uh -huh, just so. And, and you will uh, concern yourself with those threats, and, and so. more than threats, those enactments uh, mm -hmm. against literary expression yes, throughout those the who world. Yes, those who fight with the pen will die by the sword. It was in the New York Times. Somebody <laughs> in Algeria actually said it. Yes. And uh, I remember our some of our initial undertakings um, that seemed to me uh, at the, in 1978 very uh, mysterious when I found myself in a in a procession around the the, uh, the Saint Moritz Hotel because the Empress of Iran was inside there and we were carrying posters uh, urging something um, against her uh, or at least upon her attention that would be against the policies of her husband. And uh, I thought to myself, what am I, I'm doing something that I never perceived as a possibility in relation to my life as a writer, or even my life as, a, as someone in relation to other writers. Yes. But you will find. Well, of course. All of that is the thing. I have to remember that, and Penn has to remember uh, all the other stuff, I feel. 
so that we can get together and move things uh, along in the right way at all times. That is, which seems to be something that is simply a matter of striking a balance at all times. And of course, uh, that is the point. Writers all over the world, for literature, not just the writing of writings, but literature generally in this way that we were talking about, is threatened, including past literature, those things I, I like so much are, uh, in fact, of course, under threat, too. It isn't only the writers, but you can always burn the, burn the libraries, it seems to me, is perfectly uh, noticeable in impulse, as well as, uh, uh, as, well as uh, jailing and murdering the writers. So, of course, the first thing is to keep writing <laughs> going <laughs> and uh, keep reading going and writing going at the same time, uh, on, uh, because those are both things that are being threatened everywhere. Indeed. The enormous development of the Freedom to Write Committee occurred just precisely in the period that I arrived at Penn in 1978, to the point where it required uh, an outside person, actually paid person, to work for us, uh, to, to run that committee. We had never had such a thing before. Uh, Penn did not have uh, paid um, persons who were actually furthering the hopes and aspirations of the organization. And uh, since then, it seems to me there's been a kind of gigantism of that aspect of Penn, which uh, you may have to, uh, I mean, I am speaking now entirely personally, uh, yes. really from as a past uh, president. Yes, well, you, you were, uh, had said to me on the very instant that uh, my name was, uh, I was told that I was uh, invited to become the president of Penn, uh, and I told you, and you said, it is a different organization from the one I headed, and uh, you mentioned this gigantism, which of course in a way I hadn't noticed. And uh, the point is, I do have a feeling we are, uh, it's not too clear what can be done about this, as I said. Uh, in the uh, what can be done to stop this? I'm not sure what can be done to stop mm -hmm. it, but the idea that it is a gigantism can at least be expressed, as you've done and as one might whether that uh, uh, raises, arouses, and echoes in the bosom mm -hmm. of those around uh, uh, who have to do with it and, and conceive if that is true. I don't know. It's necessary, perhaps. Everything is larger. The world yeah. is uh, even larger. It's said that it's smaller, but that's not true. What is true is <laughs> that it is larger. Uh, there is more in it and to it. And Penn is a sort of, it, is have, it does have this mirror-like character of because it's, it, is, it, it, it trembles in the air of theory and idea, uh, not, and it acts when it acts upon those theories and ideas, but it is something that keeps changing its shape as it goes along, like the world and like the Republic of Letters, <laughs> which also does. <laughs> and so uh, that's why the, uh, the, uh, the art of the possible is all we can manage, I think. Mm -hmm. And um, it's true. Your um, friendship with uh, some past presidents, like Susan, for example, have given you, uh, uh, Susan Sontag, have given you uh, a, uh, a sense of what the art of the possible was. And Norman, how too, I was afraid of. 
and Norman, and those were very uh, distinguished and celebrated presidents who were distinguished and celebrated before they became presidents of Penn. Uh, you and I, I think, represent a different category of people who were uh, immitigably writers who became president of Penn from within, but not necessarily because we were acknowledged by the world as uh, important or celebrated examples of uh, um, uh, political or poetical writers. And uh, I think Susan and Norman are a different case. Well, they were world-class celebrities, uh, that's mm -hmm. what you're saying, mm -hmm. and that before they became presidents. So they had that to deal with as part of their presidency. But they also had it as a weapon and an instrument. Fine. Yes, indeed they did. Uh, but it also, I'm thinking of them, uh, I'm thinking of them uh, as, uh, I'm thinking of what it was like for them, <laughs> not only for Penn and for their relation to Penn, but how it felt. Uh, yes, I suppose um, that's true. I mean, well, all right, that's right. One is not a world-class celebrity. I think that is of importance. Now, Larry McMurtry, of course, is also a kind of world-class bestseller uh, and not an East Coast person. This was the thing about him, and there was a, there was a way in which he had, he had a large influence, different from Norman or Susan, uh, while he was being president. And an excellent one. Yes, uh, and that flavor of, uh, of world-classedness that he had, whereby all these movies written by, you know, based on his books were in everybody's mind, apart from uh, all those books in his focus in another part of the country and all of that. That was yet another and remarkable, wonderful choice, I thought, uh, for, for, for the modern world, <laughs> the, for Penn to have uh, in these days or in recent days. Yes, I, one of the things that I think I was just beginning to contend with or even be conscious of in 1978 was that uh, there's a good deal of a hostile or resentful feeling about New York, about writers in New York, because Penn is a national as well as international organization, and uh, representing American writers um, throughout, there comes, uh, here we are. It's because publishing is here. Yes. Richard. Yes. <laughs> so it's you, you Writers everywhere else have to come here or deal with here. Uh, and that's one thing about well, here. publishing is changing slightly. Yes, there, indeed. There but that is, I'm talking in a way about perception and mythology, yes, right. and not just that New York uh, has all of its uh, arrogance uh, in its own style and its provinciality in this country. What are you looking for? Uh, and all of that, but also uh, that uh, we are uh, sitting here in the seats of uh, literary power in a way that. Uh, folks feel no. in other and parts but of I just want to point out that's something you will be aware of or may be made aware of in the next couple of years. Yes, well, us Clevelanders understand <laughs> about, uh, about New York and the, the way people feel about it. Yeah, but we came to live here. We did come to live not. here, and there are those who wouldn't do it on a bet or if you paid them or however. That mm. is perfectly true. And hate it for themselves. Yeah. That's quite right. And I understand all that perfectly well. I mean, uh, we came here, but uh, our uh, families didn't. And my father, as you well know, left no, here and no went point. there. <laughs> exactly. And that's another story. But uh, instructive. Yes, it's true, New York. And, and Northeast uh, America well, generally. That's yes. there. The Eastern Corridor is what New York is. It's, uh, it's the whole, uh, the whole megalopolis. Down the coast, and upwards. Washington, Boston. Yes. yes. Okay. 
Philadelphia, as long as that's uh, <laughs> Okay, uh, let's see. No, there are, for instance, I discovered that there were American poets, uh, one of them dead, one still alive, William Stafford and John Haynes, who not only disliked New York, but really disliked New York poets because they lived here. And yes, they, they yes, sure. It was an astonishment to me. Yes. I was quite prepared to like them because they lived in Alaska or in, uh, in Iowa, but uh, it was astonishing to me. To there is the element in which we are uh, have on this East Coast gazed across the Atlantic a whole lot that people in other parts of the country don't do and feel isn't a good thing. But that's an advantage for Penn because Penn must gaze across. Well, the Atlantic. exactly. We have to be here. That's all true. The American center has to be here but and gaze in both directions, yeah. of course. That's the thing. We have to look out there all the time at the rest of our American writers and all the things that are on their minds and uh, in their books, indeed. Well, yes, that's why I love Myron Murphy as the president. That was a surprise to me. And I remember when Karen talked to me about him and said he was coming. And you, you said, it'll be wonderful. And, and you were absolutely right. It's also I? the bestsellerism, the yeah, whole idea of, you yeah. know, that people resent sometimes, the idea that anybody who makes a whole lot of money as a writer uh, is different from uh, you and me or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> well, we're different from that. And, uh, we, we, uh, we represent a different aspect of yes, well, the pen writer. Yes, exactly. The, the, uh, as opposed to, indeed, I don't know, I, about, I mean, Norman, I dare say, has made a lot of money. Uh, I don't know about sure, Susan. Yeah. Maybe, maybe lately Susan also has made some. Uh, she ha was at one time not a, uh, a, a money-making celebrity. A money-making celebrity. That's no, right. But she is now. Yes. Well, good. Now, have we covered quite a lot? Is that you think we can you get something useful? No. Yeah, well, I well, think well, just, how just turn it off for a sec. Yeah. How long has this been that we've been you here? A bit under forty-five minutes. Well, cool. Yeah, but I mean there. I've been thinking about what people have been asking me uh, of all kinds and telling me uh, about what my task might be, that writing is the soul of civilization and that whatever else goes on that does civilize us, it tends to filter at all times through the written word that expounds it and explains what it is and tells us how to perceive it. But there, there is a view that... Um, Including the computers, which need the manuals written in English so that we can operate them. Yeah, that's true. I uh, think, though, that there is a great or deal Japanese, of whatever. <laughs> hostility to writing, even on the part of writers. And I think both anterior writing and uh, the notion that writing is somehow a critical apparatus as well as a, I'm using the, the standard words now, a creative one. And indeed, one of the areas about Penn that I think is interesting is that there is a kind of built-in um, series of oppositions between the notion of writing as a critical, theoretical, speculative, and um, even, one might say, deliberative operation, and writing as expressive, creative, spontaneous, and in some ways direct operation. And the, the conflict or resentment between writing as oblique and writing as direct is one that I suspect has become a good deal more uh, intense and irritating now than it was 18 years ago. It's and very irritating, particularly since I think essentially it is a false conflict. 
critical writing is extremely creative if it's any good at all. Uh, and we do not consider, of course, here the kind of writing which is uh, purely scholarly that can be uninteresting uh, and so on. Uh, uh, we do not think of those sorts of writing as the sort of thing we are uh, promoting. And the kind of writing we are promoting is, uh, is the kind that is of, of both speculative and creative kind at once, very often. Thought is, of course, expressed in poetry. Uh, is it not? And ideas about poetry are, are, are rendered uh, by persons like Wallace Stevens in poems. And there, there is that whole dimension in which writing, any split that is fostered between uh, creative writing on the one hand and critical writing on the other hand is going to be deleterious to writing as a whole. I yes, think. but you will find a spirit within Penn that says, why should Helen Bendler be a member of Penn? And I think we—I think that that spirit may be diffused now and not quite so sharply expressed. But I, as I've just put it, but I think you will find that there is a considerable um, antagonism to the notion that uh, the critic of literature I is a, uh, a writer and that the, there is a oh, yes. place for that person that within is, this organization. And that is the essayist, of course, the critical writer. Uh, of the right sort is the same sort of writer as the writer on any kind of subject in that critical, speculative, and, and uh, thoughtful vein, which is also enormously expressive. That yes. person, uh, a person uh, who is also, this veers over into the area of journalism, which is also essayistic and critical and creative quite frequently in ways that we think of as quite uh, legitimate as part of the uh, writing enterprise generally, or the literary enterprise generally. So that, uh, uh, of course, I, I find, I have found it all this time while I was simply there living with the writers and uh, all of that. You know, that this idea that uh, about membership in Penn, what Penn's enterprise includes, uh, is, is, of course, a special and more, m more practical example of all of this, but I've seen it in just the world of literary people, that uh, somehow uh, poets, uh, can feel, or people who wish to write poetry, feel they are not in the same game as people who are writing prose in ways that are, uh, that is expository or discursive. Or, or discursive. And we see it all the time, particularly the, the poetry and fiction people who don't think they, who think they have uh, their finger on the pulse of something that all those other people don't have it on. You know, this is a romantic notion. It is not a law of nature or a law of art. It is a thing, it's a historical thing that has happened that people have believed in this split. And we can uh, do something about that, certainly, I do think. I think, that, I think that the greatest split now is the one between uh, the populace and the elitist, if you will. In other words, does one have... I will not. Elitist is not a term I use. But this, uh, however you want to say it, but I mean, that is to say that there, there's, a, there's a problem with the notion of taste and quality. Does anyone yes. have a right to say that, you know, that's the old business. Does anyone have a right to determine uh, work of, of superior quality? It's, um, mm -hmm. uh, oh, yes. and also right. a kind of yes. resentment, um, if you're talking about splits, and then about the country now, but this is obviously reflected in Penn also, but principally in the country, a resentment of those writers who have been celebrated for the quality of their work, such as, 
the establishment male poet that we read about so frivolously in the New York Times some months oh. ago, weeks ago. But that's not just there. In other words, uh, uh, there is a sense that you, you cannot say in certain groups uh, without being trounced upon, but that person is actually a better poet. Well, how can you say that? What does that mean? I mean, it's, it's, it's and I think that's more mm -hmm. of, a, of a problem now. Well, W.S. Merwin is better than Sand versus Merrow. Well, yeah, you, you can't say that. I mean, you can say it, but you won't, you won't even be able to engage in a, in a dialogue. Well, that, again, is a part of our world of the moment. It and is. Uh, it and is. the way in which uh, persons are in small countries and uh, are, are being urged to, uh, to feel that they have uh, equal status, and this is an old idea mm -hmm. with everyone else. And in some senses, you know, uh, the, the world of art has joined all these other kinds of modern phenomena. Uh, in that same feeling that the, we are all equal, and that means our work is all equally good. And yes, but the, the I think the exactly. I think that is where the the tension is now. Yes, the more so than I think that's the that is a serious difficulty, and of course it's a great difficulty for me. And I can feel apoplexy being something I'm going to feel from time to time uh, if faced with uh, showdowns about this matter. Uh, you know, uh, but I am prepared for apoplexy <laughs> also. Um, I think that's a good place to stop. <laughs> yes. Oh yes. I see. All right. It doesn't mean. No, don't worry. We're not going to give no, it no, up. No, no, I understand perfectly. I'm delighted. I'm going off to Utah on Monday, and I'm to be.